So fun fact, uh, college students have to be a little frugal with their food budgets. But that being said, most of the college students I knew were pretty lenient with the definition of frugal. Not myself included, but rather myself as the textbook definition of that. Aside from the occasional steam-cooked meal of salmon and veggies, I was, as one of my old roommates would describe it, a whore for takeout. Very often, if someone invited me to a late-night run to one of the establishments of the locally famous Burger Alley in Cedar City, odds are I'd be there in a heartbeat. But once I moved around town and had no car, Burger Alley faded into less and less of an option on my own. Instead, Cedar had its fair, albeit smaller, share of restaurants in the southern part, and one of those is yet another subway. According to my memory, there's at least two or three in the entire town. It's not a small town, but for its size, it's a lot of subways. My roommate at the time, the owner of a pretty durable Cherokee, drove me and another one of our roommates to the lobby where we all lined up and customized our orders ingredient by ingredient. While the driver was particularly fond of Dairy Queen, just a five-minute walk from where we were, I had just received a gift card for Subway and was craving a meatball sub, which was perfect. I had enough money in my bank account for a fully priced meal, but that's all I would be affording for the next little while, at least until my next paycheck found its way into my checkings. So I was very eager to use the rest of the card to get the most filling meal I was going to get for a long time, and I eagerly waited in my pajamas. I mean, what did you expect, functionality? And I saw the meal ring up to close to $20. I responded with an eager passing of the gift card into what would eventually be the cashier's hands. But the cashier gave me an uninterested look, handed it back to me, and said, I can't do anything about that. I shot her a look of bewilderment, and then at the card, and then back at her. But I haven't used it yet, I countered. I don't know how to process gift cards yet, she explained. I can't do anything about that. I kept my eyes locked on the sandwich, already formed and getting soggier and soggier by the second in the back she held with as much grip as a part-time income would incentivize. Finally, after accepting the immediate hunger that was kicking in, I put my Subway gift card back into my wallet and pulled out my debit card to pay the full amount, and then figure out how to budget at the last minute. The driver, who spectated closely from the otherwise abandoned restaurant, gave his two cents after the whole debacle. I wouldn't have done that, he explained proudly. I would have refused the sandwich. It's not my fault she can't do her job. The manager didn't train her to put in gift cards yet, I told him. Which was true. That was her explanation. So, he argued, same thing applies. It's not my fault the manager didn't train her properly. I went back to trying to enjoy the meatball sub as meticulously as I could. I was too frustrated and angry to continue the conversation. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home A Podcast Memoir by M.K. Lott Chapter 29 The Doorframe Word to the wise! Don't ever get locked out of your own room. Not only is that all kinds of embarrassing, especially if you were never taught what I call the ways of man, which includes but is not limited to carefully unlocking a locked door, using anything with the name DeWalt on it, or actively contributing to a mutual fund, but it also leads to a difficult conversation with your HOA. 
Because I lived in off-campus housing at the time, my fate was in the hands of a local property management company that managed so much of the property in Cedar City, it's a miracle the town wasn't named after them, even though a good chunk of the buildings and sites were. And if you're listening to this episode, I would bet really good money you know exactly who I'm talking about. They're that big. And at least once a school year, we would get a paper notification from them informing us that home inspections were around the corner and we had a certain amount of time, typically a month, to make sure our home passed inspection. And they weren't too meticulous about it. They looked over the mold in the shower that had been there years before I was. No, they focused on the more vital things like whether or not smoke alarms were working or, I don't know, if a door could close all the way. Because there was one night where my stress got the better of me and my memory, I tried to pry my door open when credit cards didn't work, using a screwdriver and a putty knife that my former roommate left behind when he moved out. And the result was a messy success. I got in the room, but it left almost an 18-inch crack in the doorframe that was so wide the deadbolt strike and the two nails to keep it in would fall out every time it was struck by the deadbolt, making a dinging sound like a tuning fork and then a thud into the carpet. So I couldn't help but feel concerned by the looming inspection. I told myself I would get around to it though. The cop from the previous chapters and I would just make a quick run to Home Depot, invest in matching wood and an electrical knife, cut it out perfectly, then glue it in and reinstall the deadbolt strike. Easy peasy. It'd be a nightmare to vacuum with how much sawdust there would be, but easy peasy. But as the saying goes, life got in the way, and it very quickly became the week of the inspections. The cop was out of town. I didn't have enough money to invest in the tools, nor did I have the know-how and the door frame was still cracked. If you applied enough pressure, the wood would chip off and the door would just swing open. So, I devised a plan that I would later have come back to bite me in the ass. I lied. I had told them something along the lines of, uh, uh, I came home late, I tripped, and I ran into the door which cracked the frame. They interpreted that as, well, it was an accident, so it would be silly to charge you. Cool. Problem solved. But where it came back to bite me in the ass was the fact that I was in my early 20s and didn't necessarily know what the hell I was doing with anything other than my studies. So, the guilt started to creep, slowly but surely. Until finally, one day, in the middle of the day, between work and class, I felt forced to just call them back and tell them the truth. Less than half an hour later, two maintenance guys came in, took a picture of the damage, told me to expect the fee in the mail the next day or two, and left just as quickly as they came. I wasn't proud of myself in that moment. I mean, I did lie, and I couldn't even double down on that. But at the very least, I did my part to admit when I was wrong, I approached them, and we were taking the right steps to make this right. And true to their word, I got the bill in the mail within the next day or two. Now, student housing isn't the most expensive thing in the world. 
In fact, it's one of the cheapest types of housing other than free. I say that because I don't remember the exact amount that the bill was, but I do remember it was close to two months worth of rent. I wasn't happy about it. I wasn't sure how I was going to afford that in another semester in that house, but I figured this is what comes with the territory of making a mistake, and it was my responsibility to make it work. Oh, we passed the inspection, by the way. So, at least we had one victory. I remembered it was November because I walked into the office on my way home for Thanksgiving break. And the parking lot was all kinds of claustrophobic. But it thankfully made me a master at reversing out of a spot because you either had to K-turn like Austin Powers or you were messing up someone's bumper. And I barely had enough money for one case of property damage as it was. So I walked through the door, got directions from a receptionist who was there for the paycheck, and I approached the two ladies responsible for processing all transactions. I somehow managed to skip a few meals, scrape the bottom of my savings account, and hand them the exact amount in cash inside an envelope. The lady I handed the money to gave me a sweet smile, something I definitely needed in that moment, and I asked her how long it would take to get the doorframe repaired. Oh, not that long, dear, she assured. They're going through all the properties over the holiday break while most everyone's gone and do the repairs then. You should have a working door when you come back. I thanked her and went back on the highway to Vegas. It was probably the best news I could have heard on my way to a four-day vacation. And that Thanksgiving was as similar as any other Thanksgiving could have been after the pandemic. The food was delicious, it was good to see so many faces after quarantine now that vaccines were becoming more and more accessible. And Siba, the standard poodle, won best in show. All that to say, it was a very much needed break filled with large enough meals that I could probably use that for hibernation and finals until the semester ended with Christmas vacation. And from there, I zoomed back home, down the concrete stairs on the side of the house, which was the perfect shortcut to my room, swung the door open, and heard a rhythmic ding foot. I looked down and saw the deadbolt strike with the two nails ends up getting absorbed into the shack of the carpet. I looked back up at the crack. Four days later, and the doorframe was never touched. I figured that because they worked with so many college students, maybe I wasn't the only one who was an idiot before Thanksgiving. Thank God I didn't live in a party house. And they probably got so sucked up in fixing other problems that they just didn't have the time to get around to mine. But with the price of admission, I was still a little concerned about their urgency to get it done. So I made a mental note to give them some room. After all, the holiday season is always that weird blend between stressful and relaxing. So I didn't think much of it. I could be patient and wait around. Then November became early December. And early December became early to mid-December. And then early to mid-December became mid-December. And then mid-December became finals week. And the doorframe stayed broken. So, just like I did with Thanksgiving, I swung by the office on my way out of town for Christmas. I had to jog their memory, already a bad omen, and the same receptionist I had talked to before gave me an inquisitive look before telling me, Oh, now 
now I remember you. Yes, tell you what. I will reach out to them personally and make sure that you come back to a fixed door. I said okay, and I left the office. I wasn't as assured as I was previously when I gave her my money, but at least I had been informed that she was going to do her part to make this happen. Plus, for all those who aren't American or who never went to college, Thanksgiving break is typically half a week. Christmas, or winter break, is two weeks. Plenty of time. So, you can only imagine my frustration when I peered into my bedroom cautiously at the end of that break and was greeted with a ding thud. Now, I was peeved. But, I don't think whether or not I was peeved is the right question to ask. The right question to ask was, what did I do about it? And the answer to that was, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because a part of me was going in faith with the hopes that since I paid so much, I was going to somehow manifest an eventual fix. But there's also a little something that philosophy professors don't teach you in college, and probably for good reason. The sunk cost fallacy. The belief that because you paid money, more specifically, a lot of money, it was in your favor, or worth it. These people are also the same people that have never heard of the phrase, there's a sucker born every minute. I was very much one of those suckers. And I didn't know until I had a dialogue with the good old family. They had asked about any updates or luck with the doorframe fiasco, as gossip is one of my main skills on my resume, and I got them up to date as quickly as I could. Then they got a little worried. They asked me if I still had the order ticket. I said of course, and I read through it. All it said was, door, and the price. It didn't specify the replacement, the paint, not even the labor fees. So they advised me to continue to badger them until I saw the proper progress and specifics on where the money went exactly. And at this point, I was delighted to. So every day throughout MLK weekend, I would call them, they would send me the voicemail, and I would say, hey, it's me, again, just checking on the status of my doorframe. If you could give me a call back at this number, I'd appreciate it. Alright, thank you, have a good day. This went on for several days until MLK Day itself, or Martin Luther King Day, came around. Yes? A new receptionist sneered over the phone. Oh, uh, sorry, I just wasn't expecting you guys to be open on MLK Day. Yep, we sure are! Okay, great. Um, can I, uh... Can I get an updated, uh, more specific version of the order I had received for the cracked doorframe? Do you have the original ticket? Yes. Then if you come to the office, yes. So from there, I drove over with the order in hand, displayed it to the new receptionist, and got the order reprinted with the specifics. I went back into my car, did my Austin Powers K turn, and thought, great, my job's done. I went home, looked through the order, and saw that they split the number into smaller numbers. They specified the exact transactions, but I still had no idea what those transactions were. I don't know which one was the doorframe replacement, the labor fees, anything. For all I know, three of those, or all of them, 
could have been for all the lunch breaks they took over the past couple months. So, it never really answered the true question, did it? I stayed frustrated, but what good would it really do at this point? It seemed like the more concerned I told them I was, the more adamant they were in making sure the doorframe was never fixed. Then, one day, one fateful day, the expected routinely ding thud was absent. I looked over and saw that the deadbolt strike was indeed intact. The crack was glued shut and then painted over with a hue that matched the frame. Alright, I thought to myself. I don't know if this is what two months worth of rent looks like, but I guess the problem's fixed. The family did not see eye to eye with me. More specifically, it wouldn't be a problem if the price matched the work. And this time around, it very much did not. So, I was back at it again. Negotiating the price I had already paid to make sure not necessarily that there would be a refund involved, but instead a proper use of the cash. And the more I think about this, the more I realize that I let this linger for so long because I was terrified of confrontation and coming off as someone who was trying to get their way after trying to do so in the first place by lying. I even tried to justify it by telling myself maybe it was a stupid deception fee or something. And I look back at that logic and I just think to myself, a deception fee? Bitch, if deception fees were a thing, every country would have to take out a loan just to see the fucking sun. But I still rolled all the way back to the logic of, I made the mistake, therefore, I don't get to tweak the problem in my favor. What that unfortunately translated into is, if people take advantage of that, then I don't get to have a say because I supposedly committed the original sin. What I then began to be informed of through my own experience and the experience of others is that it's not uncommon for an HOA to price and do anything they want to do with college students because they know that college students have never been in these situations before, so they don't know how to, in a sense, defend themselves. Within the next day or so, I had received a call from one of the higher-ups in the HOA who had informed me that she will see to it that the money would be put towards replacing the doorframe itself and doing it properly. I thanked her and walked away with all kinds of skepticism. But somehow, with a sprinkle of hope thrown in there too. Whether that's naive or slightly calloused is still kind of up for interpretation. But the next morning, I saw two of the maintenance workers pass by me on my way to university then drove off to work with a brilliant little smile on my face. Now normally, I would take a break in between class in the afternoon and work at my side hustle for the coffee shop I was a regular at. And on this one particular day, I happened to go home to pick up a paper, I believe it was, and I had gotten so flustered throughout the day I wasn't thinking straight. And I barged into the room to grab whatever it was as fast as I could, and I was so flustered I almost couldn't smell the odor of fresh paint. I halted my pursuit, calmly stomped my way to the doorframe, and watched the second coat of paint glisten against the light of the bedroom, not even trying to veil the glue-filled crack. 
Instead of replacing the doorframe like I was told they were going to, they just repainted over the paint and tried to make it look less conspicuous. It was at this point that during my dinner at one of my favorite diners in Cedar, I began to write my email to this higher up I had talked to. As closely as I could replicate it, I sent her a picture of the new coat and told her that at this point I wasn't mad, I was insulted. I then explained to her what was actually going to happen next. I was going to call at 9 o'clock the next morning and she was going to tell me how much I was going to get refunded. I sent the email after some peer review to make sure I wasn't going to get a harassment claim and left myself to finish my meal. Surprisingly, I was very at peace after this. When it comes to this dilemma, I was the most relaxed I had ever been since it started. It's fascinating how that works. When you turn a blind eye, you just let your problems fester, but once you confront it and fix it, it goes away so much faster. I heard a quote earlier today as I was writing the script for this, and I don't know if it's because of the story or because this was genuinely on my radar with my current life events, but the quote was, conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. This is the art and vital characteristic of being assertive. You're able to distance yourself from what's happening and how you feel sooner than later. It prevents things from growing out of hand and is the right direction for good self-esteem. Because you took the time to face it head on, you don't have to invest any more into the conflict and allow people to capitalize on that and abuse the situation. Ultimately, this manifested, for example, in a phone call the next morning. But instead of coming from me at 9am, it came from the higher up at 845 explaining to me that while she couldn't refund the paint that was used or the labor that was put into applying the paint, I would indeed expect a refund, and within a few days, close to 95% of all the money I gave them was back in my account. While it felt like an annoying amount of time, almost three months in the making, I do have to say that it was an interesting realization to think that all of this could have been prevented if I had just spoken up sooner and prevented this from happening. That, and remembering to grab my keys before I lock the room. That's, that's also something of a plus. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you, and this time around, we're going to try something a little new. If you made it this far, you can redeem a free hypnotherapy session with me if you choose to, as long as you do these three things. One, leave a review of this podcast wherever you listen to it. Two, refer the podcast to someone you may think would enjoy it. And three, screenshot both of those and send it to the Instagram account, mklotprohobbyist, and you'll be put into a rally of sorts. And at the end of the month, well, I guess it is the end of the month as of this uh, recording. At the end of November, as a way of giving thanks, I will DM the winner privately. Thank you as always, and until next time, here's to finding your way.